For the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of, them, of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations and the men likewise were exchanged natural relations with, with, with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, haughty, insolent, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know that God's righteous decree, uh, and though they know that those who practice such things deserve to die, they don't only do them, but give approval to those who practice such things. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that God's judgment rightly falls on those who practice such things. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Do you suppose, O oh man, every one of you who, practice, who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and penitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by glory and honor and patience, who by, who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also be judged without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. 
They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men in Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve things that are excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you yourself are sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. As it is written, the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is indeed a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if, 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 if one is uncircumcised but obeys the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirits, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you, may be, that you may be justified by your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, in no way. In, 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 I speak in a human way, by no means. Then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some have slanderously charged us with saying? Their condemnation is just. What then? Are we, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. There is none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Together, they have all turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is, is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law will no 
human being be justified in his sight. But now, but now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul has taken the last two chapters at length to describe the total depravity of our sinful nature. He has taken us to the depths to understand where we would naturally go and has gone to great length in an excruciating way to reveal to us our sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Would you turn your copy of the Scriptures to Romans and the third chapter? Romans chapter 3 is where we'll be again this morning. We have endured the message of the bad news, and now it's time to delight in the message of the good news. The Apostle Paul has argued until he was blue in the face about the, the fact, about the works of the law, and that no human being, Jew or Gentile, will be justified in his sight. How is someone justified in God's sight? The book of Romans is, has been given to us, has been written to, to, to proclaim the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. Follow along as I read from Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse number 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of, also of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the, the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. How is someone justified in God's sight? That's the question that these, the, the next 11 verses, verses 21 through 31, take up. It's the same question that Job asked uh, and that human beings have been asking throughout all of history. How can an unjust person ever hope to stand before the just judgment of God? How can someone be saved? This passage gets to the heart of justi justification by faith alone. You see, the first two and a half chapters are kind of, in a way, they are preliminary to, to the major idea that Paul is writing about. The availability of God's righteousness for all who respond in faith. 
This is what sets Christianity apart from all religions. Salvation of man is initiated by and accomplished by God. It's not a result of something that you and I could do. Christian, this, these verses, this passage is a reminder that you need every Lord's Day, that I need every Lord's Day. It's a reminder that we need every day. It's a reminder that we need every hour. Your salvation is not based on you. If you've gathered this morning, you're watching online, you've, you're hearing this message this morning, this passage, these 11 verses that we'll look at today and in the coming, day, in coming weeks, if you're, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, the message for you is that you need to acknowledge that you can never be righteous in God's sight apart from God doing something for you. Lord willing, we will take three Sundays to formally consider the righteousness of God. Today, and then December 6 and December 13. Through these three sermons, you'll need the same piece of paper if you're taking notes, because it's going to kind of be run on. We're going to, to note 11 truths about God's righteousness. Today we'll cover the first four. First, we learn that God's righteousness is independently effective. Look again at verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God is apart from the law, or the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Paul says, now. Now the righteousness of God is made known. This changes everything. This now, this word now, is referring to that glorious reality that Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, came into the world, he lived, he served, he, he was perfect, he died, and then he rose again. He did all of that in order to make a way for people to be justified by faith, and make a way for us to have the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is made known, it's manifested through Jesus Christ especially so in his incarnation. So God has, has not only provided his righteousness for us, he has also revealed it to us. He hasn't just said, okay, this righteousness is, a, is, is there, but he has revealed it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So this year, as you consider Advent, be reminded of this verse, that Jesus came. He came to make the righteousness of God known to us. I hope you'll take time in the coming weeks to meditate on this verse and to meditate on that truth. There's a tool that I'd like to share with you. Uh, it's, it's by Paul David Tripp. It's one of those Advent devotionals. It's called Come, Let Us Adore Him. It's a daily devotional. It's like two pages for each day. It's a great tool to use to concentrate your heart on the truths of Advent. There are four copies on the front table. Whoever gets them first is welcome to have them today. When we say that God's righteousness is independently effective, we mean that God's righteousness is disconnected from the law. In that his righteous, he is righteous without our obedience to the law. The gospel is God's plan. He initiated it. He's unfolding it. It's all of him. It's independence of our law keeping. The Jews had always been busy trying to be self-righteous and produce uh, works that would satisfy God by, by their keeping of the law. That could never happen because they could never keep the law. Paul tells us, but now the righteousness, the righteousness that is our only hope, has been made known to us apart from the law. 
that, was, that we so desperately pursued. We often think about the big deal of our sins being forgiven, and that is a big deal indeed. But it's only parts of the big deal. Being forgiven of our sins is actually not enough. We can't go to heaven only because we have been forgiven of our sins, although we have to be forgiven of our sins to go to heaven. We also need to have righteousness. We need God's righteousness. Salvation is not simply, is not only a pardon by God for the sinner. Justification is a, is a legal declaration. Justification is God making a, a judicial declaration about someone's status before he makes his final judgments. In other words, God's declaring a person to be just. He's declaring the person to be righteous in his side. Justification is only, justification is only something that God can do. God looks at us while we are still sinners and pronounces us to be just. Why? Because the only righteousness that is sufficient for us to be able to stand before God is the righteousness of Christ. All of our righteousness falls short. It's like a filthy garment. Justification is not then primarily about pardon or God declaring us to be just based on what God has found in us, in our behavior, or in our character. Rather, justification is God declaring us to be righteous while we are still sinners. Do you realize that we are Christians and we're sinners simultaneously? God is declaring, though, that we are just. In other words, while we are sinners, we are also righteous in God's sight. If God has assigned Christ's righteousness to us. And very simply, that is the heart of the gospel. We can be declared by God to be just while we are still sinners. We don't have to wait until one day we are perfect to be acceptable in God's sight. God's righteousness is completely autonomous from legalism. In other words, God's righteousness has nothing to do with the idea of trusting in our own efforts to perform to God's level of morality. God's righteousness is not resting on any achievement of man. But the Jewish community placed a great deal of trust in their man-made regulations. Paul tells us that many attempts to keep the law were made. Any attempt to keep the law ourselves as a means of salvation has been completely set aside by God. God has revealed his, he has manifested his righteousness apart from the law. Friends, this should humble us. <coughs> we should bow in humility. We should shed the pride. We should put off the spirit of superiority. God hasn't given us righteousness because of our grand church attendance record. God hasn't granted us righteousness because we've stayed married to the same person for 50 years. God hasn't granted us righteousness because of anything that we have done. God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. R.C. Sproul said it this way, The whole point of the law is to drive us to this one who possesses the righteousness that we do not have. This week, we will consider all the blessings of God in our life. 
chief among them, being, uh, us being born again. He did all of that apart from our law-keeping. This week, let your thanksgiving be colored by, let your thanksgiving be driven by the truth that God's righteousness has been made effective for you apart from the law. The second of 11 truths that we will note on God's righteousness is this. God's righteousness is seen in Scripture. Paul says in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest without the law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Although God's righteousness is apart from man's efforts, it's not unknown to man. God's righteousness is not. In fact, God has revealed his righteousness to man, not only through Christ, but he has notified us through the law and the prophets. What does it mean that the law and the prophets bear witness to God's righteousness? Well, all of the burnt offerings and the sacrifices that we read about in in the Torah pointed to Jesus. The entire Old Testament system was foreshadowing Christ. That the law serves as a witness to this amazing thing that God is doing is, is in giving righteousness to sinners. Jeremiah chapter 31 tells us that Christ would be born in the middle of the worst kind of human suffering. Daniel chapter 9 tells us when Christ would come. So the law and the prophets point to the one who would provide the righteousness that God requires of man. The Ten Commandments were not given so that if they had been perfectly obeyed, then God would save that individual who kept them perfectly. The Ten Commandments were given to show the standard of God's righteousness and to show the sheer impossibility of us keeping, of us living up to that standard of God's righteousness. The law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. The law and the prophets testify that God will send his son in order that we may have his righteousness. When you consider your own sin this coming week, when you look at your failures to love God and to love your neighbor as you should, however that may shake out, whatever that may end up looking like, when you consider your own sin, remind yourself that breaking God's law raises your awareness of your need for Jesus. Be sorry for sin. Turn from sin, Christian. Repent of sin. And as you do so, be reminded that when you fall short of God's glory, you're reminded that you need righteousness that is not your own. Just as the law and the prophets testify of it, tell your kids and your spouse that the law testifies to the righteousness of God that is now made known. And it's that righteousness that you so desperately need because you cannot fulfill it on your own. God's righteousness is independently effective. God's righteousness is seen in Scripture. Number three, God's righteousness is obtained through faith. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God which is by or through faith of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. We understand this concept from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Back when God was 
unfolding his plan to Abraham, we read of Abraham's response in chapter uh, Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. The righteousness of God that God grants to us completely independently of, of, of our law-keeping is granted through our faith in Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness, we believe in Christ and the righteousness of Christ is counted to us. Now, we should be careful as we talk about faith, having faith, having saving faith. That we, we should be careful that we understand what that means. We aren't justified because we have faith. We don't want to make our faith the matter of works, that we're going to be saved by our works of having faith. Faith means that we lay hold of Christ. In other words, we cannot save ourselves through our faith. God saves us through our faith in Jesus. It's a matter of no longer trusting in our righteousness, in our efforts. Faith is trusting that our sins were transferred over to Jesus on the cross and that his righteousness has been transferred over to us. Not only has God provided his righteousness, he has made his righteousness known to us. He has also made it available to us to have. Saving faith is more than simply praying the sinner's prayer. Saving faith is more than believing facts about Jesus. James tells us that even the demons believed facts. Saving faith is submitting to Christ as Lord. Faith is seen as one obeys Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he hopes to be as the result of his own efforts. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and he rests on that alone. That is what faith is. Faith in Jesus means that I'm no longer resting in any of my own righteousness, but instead on the righteousness that has been given to me by God. Faith in Jesus means that I understand that my righteousness amounts to, it totals filthy rags. Faith in Jesus means that God's righteousness comes to me independently of my work, and it's wholly dependent upon God to transfer Christ's righteousness to me. We sing that song, I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. It's not our faith that saves us. It is God that saves us. If we say that our faith saves us and it has become a, a work of, of ourselves and we have something to boast about, faith is an instrument of justification, not a cause of our justification. Faith is what God uses as an instrument for us to, to, to see and know the righteousness of Christ. So I ask you this morning, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you laid your sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God? Are you trusting in another? I invite you this morning to trust that Jesus' payment on the cross was sufficient to appease the anger of God for your sin and all those categories that we rehearsed this morning. 
that Jesus' work on the cross has been completely satisfactory to, to appease God's anger for your sins. And I invite you to, to, to trust that Jesus' payment was enough to provide you the righteousness of God, the very righteousness that you need. If you've never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, if you don't know what it means to be born again, I invite you to do that today. If I could answer questions about what it means for you to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, please chat with me after the service or call me up this week. I'd love to show you from God's word what it means to be born again. God's righteousness is independently effective. God's righteousness is testified of in the scriptures. God's righteousness is obtained through faith. Fourthly, God's righteousness is available for all. Verse 22 again. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ, for all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, or some translations say, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To whom does this righteousness come? To all who believe, because there is no distinction. Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved because there is no difference. One pastor said it this way, just as no one is, is good enough to be saved, no one is so evil that he cannot be saved. If you've been with us through this study, you will recognize and see that Paul has made this point all the way through chapter 2. There is no distinction. Jews and Gentiles both either will have the righteousness that they so desperately need if their faith is in Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of keeping the law. It's not a matter of ethnicity. It's not a matter of geography or age or God-given gender. There's no distinction precisely because of what verse 23 says. Because we're all in the same position. Sinners who fall short of the glory of God. That's why there's no distinction, because we all fall short of God's glory. Everyone has rejected God, verse 10, 11, and 12 have told us. Everyone has fallen short. That, that when it says we have fallen short of the glory of God, it means that we missed the mark, that we are lawless, that we are in fact unrighteous, that we are trespassers. And, and really, it, it, it could be translated, the, the, the Greek tenses there, that all have sinned and are coming short or falling short of the glory of God. You see, we still fall short of God's glory, don't we? We still are fighting remaining sin, even post-salvation. Sin not only makes us each unrighteous, it robs us of the glory of God. As you fall short later this week, later today, later this hour, as you fall short of God's glory with your sin, preach the good news of this passage back to your weary heart. Even though you're falling short, God's righteousness has been made manifest to you, has been shown to you through Jesus Christ. Christian, do you see it? Do you see why the righteousness of God is so important? But now, the righteousness of God is manifested 
apart from the law. You once were seen as corrupt to the core from God's sight. But now he sees you as righteous. You had no hope that he would own a rebel to his will. But now all you know is grace. You were dead in sin. But now you are alive in Christ Jesus. You once were blind, but now you see. You were like Adam and Eve, cast away by your sin. But now you have heard the words, Come unto me. You were thirsty and you were hungry, but now it has been quenched by the one who is living water and the bread of life. You were long imprisoned, bound in sin and nature's night. But now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You were unsure of your status before God. But now, you know that He will hold you fast. Therefore, let us, by God's grace, let us, the people of Harvest Bible Church, live this very week with this glorious truth ever before us that God has now made available, made known to us, revealed to us, given access to His righteousness. May it change how we give thanks this Thursday. May it alter our speech and our attitude. May it, may it revolutionize our relationships with spouses and our children and our co-workers. May it motivate our own evangelistic efforts. May it ever be our hope in the midst of the darkness, the sadness, the grief of our world, that the righteousness of God has now been made known to us apart from the law. Let's pray.